Well, good morning again, everyone. So happy to see so many of you here this morning. I hope that you have braved the cold weather tremendously over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I, I love the snow, but man, this cold weather is for the birds, I tell you. I'm done with it. But this week looks a little bit better, and hopefully we'll be able to get some more time outside and kind of clean up around the houses and, and things like that. Um, so hopefully you'll have some good enjoyment this week as we look forward to what's ahead. You know, over the last couple weeks um, that you've had, I hope that you have had some chances to reflect on what we've been discussing and talking about um, as it pertains to looking at purpose, looking at vision within a church and within our own lives individually as we live at our faith in, in Jesus. And it's kind of been good, uh, you know, over the, I guess two weeks ago now, when we had that last message, there was a question that was often repeated, and we closed with that message in terms of, what are you doing here? And, you know, I had a couple people come up and talk to me a little bit about that question and their answer, and it was just kind of cool to see how their answer kind of lined up exactly where I was going to be going in the next couple weeks with messages. If you recall, Brett did a benediction um, that that Sunday, and it was uh, Mark's version, I think, of the greatest commandments. You know, he didn't know where I was going to be going, but, you know, God's cool like that in terms of understanding exactly what we needed to be hearing. So today, we're going to continue to focus on some of the things of the church as it deals with our individual walks from the book of Matthew. So you can start kind of turning there. Matthew 22 is where we're going to be. But, you know, I, as, I, as I look at church and my understanding of church, I look at church as being for the believers, to be equipped with the word, to have some time of worship and fellowship in order to go and make disciples. You know, church is supposed to pre prepare us to go out and live out our faith, live out what we talk about, what we're reading about, a place where like-minded people can come together and praise their Savior to hear the gospel message, to be equipped to go out and live the word. You know, as I had said in the last message, that we are to be a priesthood of believers. It's not just about one person in the church doing everything, but it's together collectively uh, fulfilling what he has called us to do. And, you know, as we equip, as we share, it's not done forcefully. It's not done in a manipulated, persuasive way, or as Paul says, with eloquent speech. Um, but rather, it's done out of a deep desire for God um, because of the grace that we've received, understanding the salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ. So today, I want to continue to unpack that question a little bit in terms of what you are doing here by looking at the greatest commandments and the Great Commission. Again, both going to be found in the book of Matthew, but we're going to start in Matthew 22, reading from verses 34 through 40, um, and as you are there, as you're willing and able, I ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. Beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law 
and the prophets. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, I pray that you would focus our hearts and minds. Lord, that we would be sensitive to the guiding of your spirit to give us discernment and wisdom to understand your truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so the greatest commandment, I think that we've, we're kind of familiar with this. We've heard it often. Um, we, we understand what Jesus is kind of doing here. But to start off, you know, as with a lot of different types of scriptures and passages, maybe we want to understand where he's getting this information from. So we, we look to the, to, to the Bible to prove the Bible, right? We look back to the scriptures. And with this first commandment, you might understand that Jesus is quoting something called the Shema. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, and I'm going to read this portion for you, um, where it begins in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. On these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is what's known as the Shema. Again, it's one of the most important teachings to a Jewish person, and you can see as you hear that, that Basically, God was to be at the forefront of their minds at all times. You know, it's on the doorposts, it's on the bedposts, so when they rise, when they lay down, when they leave their home, it's at the frontlets right here to where it would constantly be on the forefronts of their minds, where they would be focusing in on God. Um, and again, for the most part, I think that we understand that Jesus is making that connection. We understand where that's coming from. Now, if you have a study Bible or something that has references, it might give you um, where he's getting the second commandment from. It might give you a scripture reference. But oftentimes, we're not always as sure where that comes from. But it comes from the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, verse 18. Um, and there it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And again, when you think about that kind of a connection, it's the book of Leviticus. It's full of laws. It's full of regulations that the Israelites had to follow. Um, it's not always the easiest book to walk through. Um, as a pastor, as someone doing a sermon series, I can remember the first time that I read through the book of Leviticus. I was in college, and I was setting myself up to read through the Bible cover to cover. And I worked in the college mailroom. So at 5.30 in the morning, I just happened to be at Leviticus. And I sat there at the desk like this, reading through Leviticus. Reading through all of the laws, all of the regulations. And there was so much detail that's within it. But it's difficult to pass that down. But we see this is what Jesus is quoting. And then we can make some other connections, perhaps, to when Jesus defines who is my neighbor with the Good Samaritan. Or we go over to 1 John in a couple places in 1 John, where Joel was a couple weeks ago with the communion message. In chapter 3, John says in verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And then in chapter 421, 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So again, there's a lot of different connecting scriptures that we can tie to this passage of the greatest commandment right off the bat. It gives us confidence in what Jesus is saying is backed up by scripture. We, sh- we see the importance of this verse. And I want to stress the importance of this passage to our own faith today when it comes to discovering purpose, vision, or really anything that we do in our lives. Um, see, there's that frequent question of if you can teach one thing to the next generation, if you can pass down one piece of knowledge, what would it be? For me, it's this passage. You know, when you think about what Jesus says in this passage and you see how it's being asked to him, I think that there's a hint of that in the question too. Now, obviously, he is being tested. But you still put yourself in a Jewish person's shoes. There are over 600 other laws and regulations that the rabbis put on top of the law, that is the Bible, that they have to follow. And when you look at this question of what's the greatest one, It almost has this sense of like, you look at all of these laws, and you're like, okay, if I can just focus on one, you know, have a workaround, have a little shortcut in my life, make things a little bit easier, which one would you choose? You know, what, how do you give weight to a specific law? And what Jesus does here is he looks at all of these things, and he sums up the law and the prophets by giving these two commands. I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. You know, because when we, when we reflect on the question of why are you here, when we think of something in the big picture sense, does your answer have something to do with this first commandment? Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This needs to be the number one reason of why you're here. Now, I get, you know, there are scenarios where people might be coming to a church and they're seeking, they're searching for answers. I get all of that. I'm not discounting that because I love talking about Christ with with unbelievers or with people. Um, But, you know, for those of us who have been coming for years, for those of us who have been disciples and followers of Jesus for years and been to multiple churches, do you go to church because you love God? Or do you go to church because you're expected to? It's tradition. Your spouse expects you. Your parents make you go. Do we come into these doors with an expectancy of understanding what Christ has done for us? With our hearts and minds focused on praising God? Or is it just, it's what we do on Sundays. It's what we've always done. But where is our heart in that question of why we are here. Now, Jesus' teaching should be a primary aspect in our faith. It's one where we need to be leaning on in all areas of our life. In the conversations, another question that was posed to me about this was, who is God to you? You know, how do you understand who God is, his holiness, what he did for us on the cross, that his name is Yahweh, let me give you a for an in- instance here. You know, early on in my walk, as a young believer, I struggled with sins of the past, sins of the old life, and I was fed up with it. You know, I had tried harder, I had read books, I had accountability partners, 
I had people praying in my life, all wonderful things, all good things, all things that helped me grow in different ways. But I would still fall to temptations and would frustrate me. I hated my sin. I hated how it was plaguing my life. You know, and I continue to beat myself up and I'm, I'm searching the scriptures and, and I'm wrestling with God. I get to 2 Corinthians 12 and Paul's thorn in his side. He's praying for it to go away. He's like, Lord, please just take this away. I can't bear this anymore. You know, you keep reading, my grace is sufficient. And you ever get that mocking tone with God like, I get it, your grace is sufficient. That's where I was. Because I was in such a battle with sin. And I didn't understand who God was fully. I still don't understand all of who God is. It's something that you continue to grow with. And I continue to read. I continue to, to be in the scriptures. And I, I come to 1 Corinthians 10. You know, the passage that begins in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, and, and this passage would end up becoming more of a life verse in that season where I would repeat that passage, I would memorize that passage. As I faced temptations, I would, I would cry out to the Lord. It was very, it was very temporal. You know, in, in my wrestling, I would, I would cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, your word is true. So this is what I need. I need you to show me the way of escape. I need you to, to show me the way out because your word says that you would provide it. And he is, he is kind and he is gracious, gracious. And I can distinctly remember for a season, he would very, very clearly show me that way of escape. It's, it's one of those things that happen in your prayer life when you have the eyes to see, it's amazing. But that wasn't the end of it. See, because even as you go through that temptation, even as you see that clear way out, you still have the free will. Remember what we read today in Deuteronomy 30 for a call to worship. I set before you life and death, blessing and curses, therefore choose life, that it may go well with you and your offspring in the land. I still had to choose that way of escape. I still had to choose to love God, to follow where he was going to take me, to be obedient in those areas. And it was a great season of victory in my life. And you know, he is so kind and he is so good because over the years you, you learn a little bit more about scripture, you learn a little bit more about the depths of God and who he is and, and you, you read 1 Corinthians 10 and it's a passage about idolatry. That is the context of all of that in terms of temptation. And you think about that, that's what sin is, really. It is idolatry. It is choosing something other than God. And I've known that for years. But as I was preparing for this message, and I was, I was looking at this first commandment, knowing that that was where my emphasis was going to be, this connection hit home again in a different way. You know, that when you're faced with temptations and we have that decision, it comes down to whether or not you love Jesus. Whether or not you're going to live out that God has all of my love. Now, when I'm talking about this, I'm not saying that in those moments when you're choosing to sin, you're not loving Jesus, therefore you lose your salvation. Or that it's some sort of condemning type of way in terms of that sin. 
But it's in those moments where you're choosing to love something more than Jesus. And we have to be honest with ourselves when it comes to sin. You know, and what he says here in terms of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, this should become more of a life verse for us to that when the enemy attacks with those temptations, our response is no, I'm choosing to love God above all of this other stuff, all of this shiny stuff, all of these other things that are out there that are trying to pull me away from God. So what are you doing here? Are you loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind? And you know, you can get hung up on sin for a bit and think, well, actually, no, I'm not great. That is a wonderful confession. Because that's true in different times in our life, right? As we are being sanctified, as we face those temptations, we have to understand that this is the greatest commandment that we can follow in the scripture. That when we confess that we have sinned, that we've fallen, then we are called to then repent and turn back to him who is our all in all, who deserves all of our love. So we cannot negate the importance of this command to our life and to our faith. Now, the second thing that Jesus says here is to love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that this is second for reason. Again, our priority is for God first. Everything else that you do, whether that is as a, a parent, a child in your workplace, whether that's serving, evangelizing, discipling, worshiping, anything here in church, all of these things have to come from a place of love that we have for God. Because if it does, then, then the serving, the working, all of that stuff, the emphasis is not on us. It's not on the other person even that we're serving. Instead, it is on God where he gets the glory. He gets the honor where we're able to get out of the way and allow him to be central. We have to surrender our selfishness, our pride, and trade that in for robes of righteousness. You know, Tozer said, the essence of surrender is getting out of God's way so that he can do in us what he also wants to do through us. You know, you think about that in terms of how great of a love that he has for us and that he sent Jesus to die in our place, to be a propitiation, to be a sacrifice for our sin, to reconcile us to the Father. This is how we are to love our neighbor. So what does it look like to love others as ourselves? Now, we've already mentioned the Good Samaritan as as an example that Jesus uses in that parable. It's interesting, just prior in Matthew 19, 19, the rich young ruler claims to have loved his neighbor as himself. But I think also another interesting context is when Paul speaks about this in the context of husbands and wives in Ephesians 5. He says, beginning in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Turn back to Matthew 16 with me. Still kind of searching some different contexts for what it means to love others as yourself. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would, sorry, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So to deny yourself and to take up your cross Another aspect of how we should all be when it comes to following Jesus and loving one another. And when it comes to loving one another, there's, there's a death that hap- has to happen in terms of your selfishness, in terms of your pride, where you're sacrificing your wants, your desires for that of someone else. Um, you know, things that you might want, you might be sacrificing for the grace of the gospel to be lived out through you into that other person's life. You know, the greatest, the greatest way to show love for another person is to be able to share Christ with them, to share the gospel message with them. Years ago, when the whole love is love movement was kind of beginning to take off, and I was a youth pastor, and I was in schools and, and talking to teenagers, a lot of times we would have discussions, we would have arguments based on their thoughts, their feelings about this whole subject and, and homosexuality and how I was hating them because I would not accept them and what they would want to do. And I simply reversed their perception on them. And I shared that if I truly hated them, then I would be silent. I wouldn't share the gospel message. I would let them die in their sins because that would be truly hating them. But instead I love them enough to listen to them, to hear their angry arguments, um, to share the good news with them, to share Christ with them, you know, to to answer the questions in ways that I could, in the ways that God has gifted me through the power of the Holy Spirit, all in order to to draw them closer to him. That was the goal. Didn't try to, to coddle them, to say that their sin was okay. I didn't try to have a holier-than-thou attitude because sin is sin. Now, what it did do in those conversations was I had to work at being consistent in terms of the types of sin that you do call out. You know, it's one of the things I do appreciate about the homosexual community. Their sin is right out there for everyone to see. How different would it be if our sins were just labeled on our forehead? The struggles that we, that we keep hidden because, you know, we got it together. We're all good. 
It challenged me to call out things even in heterosexual marriages or relationships, whether that was premarital sex, cohabitation, abuse, anger, domestic violence, lying. All of these things that we might seem are respectable or might just overlook because, well, they come to church. Sin is sin. It is rampant. We can't discount it and just say it's okay because we have the grace of God because he's forgiven us and just continue to live in our sin. It is too destructive in our lives. The greatest way that we can show love is not to judge in a condemning way, but as Jude says, snatch people out of the fire because their love is for something other than God. Their love is for these passions or these desires that they have that are of the world and not of God. And we're all guilty of that. Any type of idolatry or selfishness that we're clinging to. The greatest thing that we can do to love someone else is to bring them to Jesus. Now that's, that's big picture. That's lived out in the nitty gritty and in individualized ways differently for each person. You know, as we are loving the Lord our God, as we are loving one another as ourselves with the greatest commandments, we then move towards the Great Commission. This is found at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, if you want to turn over there with me. The Great Commission is where, you know, we are kind of more doers of the word. And this, this commission is in a lot of churches' mission statements, as it should be. Um, and I'm going to start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So I'm always intrigued as I read this. I mean, we, a lot of times we just focus on verses 18, 19, and 20. But I'm always intrigued by verse 17. Here you have these people that are right there. Jesus is right there. But some doubted. And it made me think again about what Jude says about those who doubt. Jude says, for those who doubt, you are to be merciful. I'm thankful for mercy especially in my own life. But when we read this commission, Jesus gives a very clear command. And that command is to make disciples. A lot of times as we are reading in the English, we might think it's go, but this is more of a passive participle. So it's as you are going along, make disciples. So a lot of times, as I said, a mission of every, any church should be to make disciples of all nations. Now, the ways that individual churches go about that change. They're a little bit different. Traditionally, you have things like Bible studies or maybe a focus more on a family unit. So you have more family devotions to help the parents raise the kids. You have Sunday schools, sermons, Sunday night services, Wednesday night services, and so many other things. I think more in the last, I'm just going to say 25 years, I'm making that up. 
you have things like small groups where individuals and family units kind of get together to live life together. Um, you have one-on-one -on -one mentoring, accountability partners, books, podcasts, YouTube, and all kinds of different technological ways to be discipled today. People will have their preferred ways to be discipled and to disciple. You also have generational gaps that can be barriers when it comes to understanding one another. But I think within all of this, it goes back up to the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as yourself. Now perhaps we can get into this mindset where people need to love Jesus the way that I do, or they're not doing things right. It's a very real danger within the church. Or maybe people might be holding on to their ways or their traditions that they might be set in. Or maybe people might treat traditions flippantly. And that's when the judging starts. You know, I want us to remember this. Our love for him comes first. Over our own preferences, our own desires. You know, I saw a quote a couple weeks ago that stuck out to me. It said, one way to perhaps know that we have forgotten the gospel of grace is when your sin bothers me more than my own. I think that's good for us to hear in the church, to constantly be reminded of the grace that we all need each and every day because we are sinners. The gratitude that we have for Christ. You know, and one of the, the things that I want to foster within this body is an attitude of what we are to be about rather than what we're not about. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about you, but the last couple of years have been deflating. It's been kind of more depressing in my life because it seems that all we talk about or focused on is the things that we're against. This whole ordaining women, titling them with pastors, it's a contentious topic for sure, but it's draining. Sucks the life out of leadership. But as we move forward, my heart and my desire is to be a little bit more positive. Being for, moving forward to complete the Great Commission, to live out the greatest commandments. And what that will look like in terms of vision might be different for each one of us. But hopefully we can set some realistic and attainable goals. You know, I, I have desires, I have visions um, you know, I, I would hope that we would be a body that when we spend our hour, hour and a half for some of us after church and fellowship, that those discussions would be wrapped around the Bible. That we would ask questions of each other of, you know, where are you at in the word this week? What's the Lord been teaching you? Who are you discipling? Who's, who's discipling you? You know, who are some people that you're talking to about Christ, that you're praying for for salvation, that I can come alongside of you and pray for? You know, and I know that there are a lot of those types of things that are talked about, and that's good. I, we want to foster those types of conversations so as to have accountability, to join one another, to support each other in different ways. A desire to start small groups where leaders can be trained in different materials to facilitate conversations so families and individuals can walk through life together. I desire there to be Bible studies that could be open for other times of the week or other days to help meet some needs in our schedules. 
I still have a heart to go on missions trips or to at least be a little bit more hands-on with our local missions that we support. Now, all of these are, are great ideas. They're desires that I have. But we need people to pray about how they can be used to serve. We need people who are loving Jesus and ready to step up. Because I'm not going to ask Nancy to add five more Bible studies to her week. Her desire, her heart is to do that one on Tuesday. And I support that 100%. You know, one of the cool things about being a pastor is you get to, to walk through life with people. And you get to see how God works in their life in strong ways. And I can remember vividly the nervousness that Beth and Jean had when they were going to take over for Mike and Nancy. They wanted to introduce some changes or they had some other ideas and we don't know how it's going to go. Or to watch how people step into this calling of being a Sunday school teacher with nerves. Like, I think I can do it. But then after a few weeks, you get to see the joy in their face that, that they have because they are walking through life with their brothers and sisters. They're helping to raise up kids in the Lord. And it's so awesome to come alongside and see. You know, so many times we, we hamper ourselves because we think that we can't. In our own power, we can fake it sometimes, but we have to have the mentality that it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory. You know, I've said this before, but the way that I try to pastor or the desire that I have as a pastor would be that I would equip this body in a way that essentially I work myself out of a job. To where you are the hands and feet and you are living in every way possible what it means to be the body. Will that ever be attained? Probably not, because we're broken. But at the same time, you get to see growth. And it's so amazing to see. You see, because when you get to that point, a couple of different things happen. And you see this all throughout ministry in, in the New Testament, where Paul would stay with the church, he would plant a church, he would build up leaders, and then he would go and do it again somewhere else. Or for a church, they get together and, and they, they live out the commands that are in the Bible to the point that they realize, you know what, we can be comfortable here or we can go plant another church. And you take a group of those people who have that same heart, that same vision, and they plant another church because the issue is the gospel message. That's the importance of what it means to be a church, to share the gospel message. And you know, I've been processing a lot of things over the last couple of years. A lot of things with the di district, with this church, and with God. And you know, he is so timely. I think it was back in August, um, I was wrestling with the Lord, and it was just one of those times where you're crying out in prayer. And you're like, Lord, I have these choices ahead of me. How do I choose between a God that I love, a denomination that I love, and a church that I love? How do I walk through this process holding on to my own convictions while at the same time helping other people who have different convictions perhaps be drawn closer to the Lord in a healthy way? It's difficult. 
you know, through prayer, through these last few weeks looking at the, the passages dealing with Elijah and what Matthew says here, I came to a, an awesome conclusion a couple weeks ago. And that was that I just really love serving the Lord because of who he is and what he has done for me. As I recalled, that was, that was where my call to ministry came from, out of a passion for the Lord, out of a love for him, to follow obediently through that calling. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter if I'm in a church or in a denomination. I will continue to serve him in the places that he calls me to be. And you know, the road over the last 15 years of being a pastor has been arduous, to say the least. I would not have expected to have faced all that I have gone through. You know, getting laid off from a job and going straight into seminary. Going into debt to pay for that seminary. Having Micah on the first day of class. Leah somewhere in the middle. So young couple with three young kids going back to school but God provided through the ordination process through moving and leaving our families behind losing a spouse facing so many diagnoses of cancer to leaving a denomination and you know I wouldn't trade any of it because of how he has shaped me and sanctified me through it. Now, obviously, you hope for comfort or you pray for some different outcomes and situations, but those are places where you can meet with the Lord in deeper ways than you can in comfort and complacency. And he has shown up in strong ways. And I know that through these discussions, there have been fears about whether I would be staying or leaving as a pastor. I mean, there's definitely some hard decisions that need to be walked through. But through this whole process, I've never wanted that to be on the table in terms of your convictions and understanding how to follow the Lord. Know that I am staying. But also know that it's for a season. That's what makes being a pastor difficult. It's always part of that conversation of, is the pastor one of us? It makes it difficult to have connections, to open up. But I want you to look at it from a different perspective. One that says, you know, perhaps the Lord would call me home today. Then what do you do? You know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are. That should change our perspective. That while me or any other pastor or any one of you in this body here, we cannot take for granted that we have been given today. So make the most of that. Don't think that we can just wait for another time to invite that person over for lunch after church. We've only been given today. And it's an amazing time to realize that that we have the opportunity to touch one another's lives in strong ways through the gospel message, to make connections with our brothers and sisters in Christ today. We've been given the wonderful opportunity to be the church, to have connections with one another, 
Our time on this earth is so short. Don't waste it with what ifs, Phil. Don't waste it with what ifs or hypotheticals. You know, while you have been given today, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. Love others as yourself. And as you are going, make disciples along the way. May his grace and peace guide us in all things. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for who you are. You are Lord. You are Yahweh. You are God. Lord, you have given us your word. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that this morning. Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart. Allow your spirit to convict those areas in our lives that are not yours, that we're trying to hold on to through selfishness, through pride. Lord, allow us to continue to come alongside of one another as a body, to encourage and equip with the word, to draw each other closer to you. And Father, as we go about our days, help us to make disciples. Give us sight of what that looks like, whether that's with our own children, our neighbors, coworkers, or people here within this church. Lord, help us to be able to identify who we are discipling and who we are being discipled by. Help us to ask the questions to encourage one another to be more in the word, to share what you're teaching each one of us. Give us the discernment and the wisdom and understanding to follow you with all that you have made us to be. We praise you for sanctifying. We look forward to the glorification that is to come when you call us home. But until Lord, then, Lord, allow us to serve you. Allow us to love you. Allow us to love others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.